Hello and welcome to the Fight Like a Girl podcast. Uh, this is my second podcast from my fabled trip to um, the north of the border. Um, in this episode, I interview uh, the wonderful Christiana Theodely. And um, yeah, this one's a bit weird because she ends up interrogating me a little bit. But um, yeah, I really hope you enjoy. Perfect. I am perfection. That's my problem. <laughs> High five! Um, right, so <clears throat> keeping with the rest of these podcasts, I'm going to say what I think your name is and get it totally wrong, and then you're going to correct me. <laughs> so I think your name is Christiana Theodoli. It's very close. How do you pronounce your name? My name is Christiana Theodoli. Theodoli? Theodoli. Theodoli. Okay, right. Now that we've got that embarrassment out of the way. <laughs> um, no, no one ever gets that right. It's okay. Uh, see, I get, like, basic names wrong. <laughs> like, what kind of basic names? Like, well, I went to see Arizona yesterday. The only reason I got her name right on the podcast is because I called her Amazon when I turned up. <laughs> oh. like, that's not my name. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> um, yeah. <clears throat> oh, my God. Everyone's giving me their cold. <laughs> it's not fair. Right. It would be a very sniffly podcast today. Yeah. And hopefully I don't breathe into the mic because they're like outside now. Like I've had them here because I'm an idiot and I just go, when I laugh. <laughs> Snort into the mic. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> um, okay. So uh, you're Christiana Theodoli. Yes. And we'll, we'll take it. I'll yeah. take it. <laughs> you can take that. Yeah. And... Um, are you a blue belt or a purple belt? I'm a blue belt. And where do you train? I train at MNBJJ in Glasgow. So Marcus Nardini BJJ in Glasgow. Ooh. Scotland. 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 I'm fascinated by your accent because there's hints of Scottish in there. Uh, where are you yeah. from originally? So originally I'm Italian and Swiss. So I'm Italian but I grew up in Switzerland, in the Italian part of Switzerland. So I think my accent is probably Swiss Italian. It's the language is the same, but it's more of a closed accent. So it's mm. like Italian has more o oh, a ah, vowels. Well, in Switzerland it's more closed vowels like o oh, a. Ah. So yeah, I think my accent is more of a weird Italian Scottish. I mean, as of next Thursday, I'll have been in Scotland fifteen years. So what? And you Thursday is my more of a years. Scottish twang. Well, are you actively trying to keep mm, your accent? No, I think it's just it just stays. I mean, I'm mm. pretty sure like if you hear me at work on a Friday or Saturday night shouting at drunk people, then my accent will be a lot more Scottish than it is <laughs> at the moment. But it maybe just comes out with the aggression, which is what we were talking about when you arrived, about the Scottish-friendly aggression, where yeah. people are all friendly and lovely, but also quite aggressive. And it's one of my favourite things about being here, <laughs> well, so far. Um, so, uh, first off, like, is Jiu-Jitsu the first martial art that you've done? And if not, like, when did you start? martial arts in general and what got you into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Um, Jiu-Jitsu is the first martial arts I've ever done so mm -hmm. I started Jiu-Jitsu when I was 26 
so that's now about six almost six years ago and I started because at the time I was a journalist I was a court and crime reporter Ooh. and I worked out of the um, sheriff court in Glasgow and the high court in Glasgow and I used to get threatened a lot because I worked for a fairly disreputable <laughs> local Glaswegian <laughs> rag that mainly just covers court and crime. So I used to get threatened a lot and it was always wee jobs. It was always kind of, you know, teenagers. It wasn't ever anyone that I actually felt threatened yeah. or scared from. But it did make me think, maybe I should learn what to do if someone yeah. does actually assault me. Um, and so I started doing PTs, um, like private training lessons with um, David Galbraith, who's a professional martial artist uh, here in Glasgow, and uh, or professional MMA fighter. Um, and then over time, I just started enjoying the Jiu-Jitsu more, and I dropped everything else and, and started training more, and then started training in the gi, and fell in love with the gi, and yeah. And that's it. So I've got a, a, an interesting way of getting into jiu-jitsu, which yeah. is being threatened by <laughs> being threatened 15, 16-year-old threatened by 16-year-old wee Scottish <laughs> bums. <laughs> it's so weird hearing like a, a noticeably like European accent saying things like we. <laughs> I told you the Scots would come out <laughs> eventually. Bit. Whenever you get angry, yeah. <laughs> you're like the Hulk, but your your accent changes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you obviously started from kind of a a self defense background. Yeah. Was it? What was the kind of self defense stuff that you um went through? Is it like the? Was the stuff that you were taught more like the self-defense that you see um, people like Mauricio and Braulio and like the um, older school jiu-jitsu not, guys Not teaching? at all. So um, when I first started, I was just really doing general PTs and it was more about getting a bit more into shape, okay. making sure that I knew how my... What I felt was if, if I'm in a situation where I do get attacked, I don't even know what my muscles will react like because yeah. I've not done sports. I hadn't done sports since I was like 13 and started smoking. Mm. You know, like, that, that's, <laughs> you know, I got, I got to teenage years. I as started soon as smoking. that cigarette hit my lips, yeah. that was it for me. <laughs> started smoking, dropped all sports. I was like, fuck this shit. I hope I can swear on your podcast, by the way. Oh, you can like, say what you want. So, so I hadn't done any sport in a very long time. So I thought... I, I need to find a way so that I actually know I'm not going to freeze and I know that my muscles yeah. will, you know, what, know what to do or, you know, I'll know what my, how my muscles will react if I'm put in certain situations. But it was really more, we did a bit of striking, we did a bit mm. of grappling, but it was more like general. general. It wasn't specific self-defense. It was more about learning to control my body a little bit better and cool. to be able to control someone else's body. And I think that's what really then made me fall in love with grappling is that you know you do weird wonderful amazing things with your body yeah. that most people have never even thought they could do and and you can control other people like very well so it was really that being able to control myself and control others yeah that kind of i enjoyed because mm. like i see like there there is a lot of women's self-defense material 
out there and a lot of the stuff that's being shown that I've seen is utter bullshit. Yeah. And then, <clears throat> but even with, like, because people run self-defense seminars and stuff as well, but um, like you say, I don't see how beneficial one seminar is going to be to a person's reactions. So if, even if they were taught by Mauricio himself, they did a two-hour seminar in self-defense and that's all they did, they're still completely unprepared for someone attacking them because your body doesn't know how to react. You know what to do, but your body do, like will still go into shock. Mm-hmm. But like with uh, training jiu-jitsu and everything, your body's constantly yeah, being put in I those think, situations. And I think that's why I never... I mean, I definitely understand why self-defense is a place, you know, in jiu-jitsu mm. as a whole. Yeah. But I think it's more useful to then try competition a couple of times, get that adrenaline dump, and mm. know how you're going to react when you have the adrenaline dump. Because, mm. you know, you can do like a couple of jiu-jitsu seminars, like you said, or self-defense, any kind of self-defense seminars. Yeah. Um, but first of all, you're not going to retain it if you're not practicing it yeah. over and over and over again. Um, and I don't think, you know, if you do actually get attacked and you're not, you don't regularly are in the position where someone's trying to choke you, like we do on the mats all the yeah. time, um, you're not going to be used to the adrenaline dump and that's what mm. makes people freeze is a kind of fight or flight response. It's not yeah. really just fight or flight, it's fight, flight or fucking freeze. Yeah. You know, and that's what people do, they freeze. So getting used to the adrenaline dump that you get, mm. you know, in a situation like that is, I think, a lot more valuable than any self-defense yeah. technique. Um, can you remember your first uh, fighter competition? Um, yes, I, it was like, in 2013, so I would have been training for about a year. Mm. Um, and um, there was a girl who, she's a vet, I don't think she trains anymore. She's a vet up further, um, I don't want to say north because for Scotland it's kind of central Scotland, but I guess <laughs> for you in England it's a, a further north. Um, and um, I don't even remember which one. I, I know we fought four times that day because we were the only ones in like the over 65 mm. category. It was over or under 65 because when I started competing in Scotland we only had over or under 60 or over or under 65 as mm. categories. Um, they weren't anywhere near enough women. <laughs> yeah, and, um, I had this conversation with uh, Arizona yesterday. She was saying yeah. that when she started, they mixed weights and belts. So it was, yeah. <laughs> it was a potluck on who you were going to fight. Yeah, like my first competition, there wasn't any woman over white belt. Um, and um, and it was just, yeah, over or under 65. So me and this girl mm-hmm. fought four times. We fought gi, we fought gi absolute, we fought no gi, we fought no gi absolute. So she won two and I won two and I was like, that's fine, I'm happy with that. <laughs> so I don't remember which one I won and which one she won, but but yeah. But um, do you remember the adrenaline dump at the, like your very first one at the, from your first competition? Yeah. Like, yeah. I still have vivid memories of my very first competition and how I could barely move after the first fight <laughs> and how yeah. sore my arms were because, um, I burnt them out trying to put on a head and arm choke and um, like because I went by myself like I'm a massive idiot like I, I don't I don't know whether I've told this story on here before but like I was on my own 
so I didn't know what to do because I'd never put my arms out in their training before and I didn't have that kind of adrenaline so I just literally like shook them around and then had to go into my next fight five minutes later <laughs> and I was so tired I didn't have any water or anything with me because I was ill prepared for my first competition <laughs> I didn't know what I, I didn't know what to expect but um like when I think about um, the self-defense techniques and stuff I think about how tired I was after my first fight and um, had I been uh, I have been attacked like in the past before I started jiu-jitsu and like that was in that situation I wasn't trying to defend myself or anything I was literally just trying to curl up into a ball so I didn't really have that kind of mm -hmm. adrenaline dump but uh, I had the bruises and stuff but had I tried to fight back I don't even think I could have because even if I did know self-defense, I didn't have like the um, like the reaction or the response to it, and and like you say, that's probably one of the most important things that we learn. Like to is be... that where you started jujitsu? Um, I started jujitsu for a few reasons. Um, like I've always been fascinated by martial arts, but I've never done any. Um, like growing up, me like. Uh, I repressed a lot when I was growing up so um, I shared a room with my uh, identical twin up until I was about 18, 19 and every night we'd watch like a really shit martial arts film going to bed um, it's like my favourite type of film like the shit brilliant films where they're so terrible that you can't help but love them <laughs> anything with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme I refuse to call them shit brilliant because they are just brilliant films like <laughs> Blood Sport Kickboxer Time Cop anything like that um, Hard Target which is just amazing <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme with a Jerry Curl <laughs> um, so yeah, the, classics. the yeah, classics the classics so I've always really enjoyed like martial arts films and stuff, and I've always wanted to do something. But um, when I started my transition, like I was in that um, like the transitional period where I was kind of building my confidence and stuff, and then I got attacked, and all of that was taken away, and like um, I kind of became quite reclusive. I didn't like going outside, like especially not at night. And then I moved to Liverpool and like the nights were coming in so it was getting darker like four o'clock so I had to go home in the dark and I was um uh I was walking like from my lunch break I went to Costco because it was like right there right by where I worked and then on my way back with this massive carrot cake I saw the Liverpool MMA Academy and I was like oh that looks interesting I checked their website and uh they do like women's classes and stuff so I was like oh I'll I'll see if I can get in on that and um, yeah called them up and spoke to them a little bit and uh, they were really like lovely really um, open about everything and um, like their response to me like wanting to join in the class was literally just just come along and see if you like it or not like I had to do like a 15 minute induction just so I understood the kind of movements that I'd need to make in the class mm -hmm. when I go in and stuff but after that it was just amazing so I started doing Thai boxing and jiu-jitsu and the Thai boxing lasted about two three weeks and <laughs> I went straight to just just jiu-jitsu jiu but um yeah jiu-jitsu gave me more confidence than anything I've ever done um like I was speaking to Arizona about this yesterday um 
so jujitsu taught me to uh, look at my body for what it can do not for how it looks so I, I appreciate the things that my body can do I appreciate what it can't do and I I try not to try not to focus on the things that I don't like about my body um, so it's been really good for reframing that but it also means that I stay um, like fit a little bit like I still have like an addiction to chocolate and pizza that I can't get over but um, I'm working on it and like um, not being able to train for the last uh, like 10-15 weeks has been challenging murder on my belly well actually um, post-surgery so like before I went back to work I actually lost weight mm -hmm. because I was able to regiment what I ate but then um, as soon as I went back to work I went back to a super stressful environment and I just fucking pigged out on shit because I needed something to get me through the day <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah. I, I work in a hospital, so um, yeah. I since I started studying nursing, when I started studying nursing, um, I put on twenty kilos, and it's just hospital toast. You know, hell. it's like, and it's it's the worst, like the cheapest toast you can get with the cheapest butter, but it's the best thing in the world. Yeah, you know, and especially when it's, it's all you have. For it's like... and it's and it's and you're tired and it's the middle of the night and. Yeah, and you've got you know a really really stressful night or stressful day and um yeah hospital toast so, so what you're work. saying is you're a night nurse no I'm and now I want to sing night nurse <laughs> <laughs> no no <laughs> no we do shifts so it's it's mm. a mix I, I like nights better but mm. yeah but we do so what made you want to transition from journalism to nursing? Um, well, so I left my my wonderful, low, <laughs> poorly reputable, um, uh, low-flying yeah. crime and court reporting job because um, I wasn't particularly friendly with the boss there and I think quite a few of us left at the same time. It was not a necessarily good environment. To be in um, and uh, I worked as a freelance for a while and then I started working for NHS 24 which is like the Scottish mm. equivalent of NHS Direct or 111 yeah, yeah. Um, as a call handler and I think it's a bit different because our service is nurses led so yeah. it's always nurses that make the decision I think in England there used to be protocols mm. I don't know if how much I don't, I don't know if the nurses always have an input in England, but in Scotland definitely it's always a nurses led, yeah. um, unless it's like very basic, like you know urinary infections, and then the call handler can send you to the out of hours well, GP. But when I was um, so after my surgery, I was taken care of um, by a team of nurses, but they weren't able to um, like if I was in pain or anything, they had jurisdiction to give me certain things but anything more than um what they were allowed they had to get a doctor to sign off on essentially so um what was it they could administer like anti-sickness medication uh paracetamol they could put mm. that in my drip and what was the other one there was something else but anything other than that they needed either a doctor to come and see me to mm -hmm. assess it or they needed uh, a doctor to at least sign off on what they thought it was um, which I don't see how it can be helpful especially if there's no doctor available <laughs> it's like if you're a nurse and you're in a challenging environment and someone needs something and a doctor's not there 
Like, yeah, I mean, you... in general, medication prescription is very, very regulated because there mm. is so much scope. It's very complicated because there's so many medication. Yeah. Um, and it's very highly regulated because there is so much scope for mistakes. Mm. Um, and there's so many things that people will need to consider, such as, you know, if you have like kidney problems and yeah. certain medications you need to be careful with or you need different doses. Or if you have liver problems because liver metabolizes medications. Mm. Um, uh, you know, so there's things that you can't take or you need to be careful with. Um, so there is some nurses that do become nurse prescribers mm. um, and can prescribe medication, but the vast majority of nurses are not allowed to prescribe medication. Oh. So there are certain like group directives. So for instance, if you're, I work in accident and emergency. So, for instance, there's certain things that nurses in accident and emergency are able to give, like um, like pyrotin, for instance, if you yeah. think someone's coming in, in you know, with a, a reaction, um, or I, you know, kind of small basic things like that. Okay. Um, but the vast majority, we just need to get a doctor to prescribe it. Yeah. Um, now we are lucky because in accident and emergency we have hundreds of doctors yeah. well maybe not hundreds but we have, we have you know we have many yeah we have we have a, a, it's you know it's a very highly skilled environment and it's a very well staffed environment because it can be very volatile mm. um, but a lot of wards don't have their own doctors so um you know there'll be doctors that do ward rounds but there'll be doctors that maybe cover two or three wards so then a lot of wards don't have a dedicated doctor yeah, that's there the whole time really sometimes they'll be you know covering two or three words so um, it's not always straightforward Interesting. that way like um so most of my well a lot of my family work in the hospital uh, in milton Keynes where i live um my older sister one no she's not even one of the oldest i got five sisters and she's like the second one up <laughs> um she's a uh she just got her degree in um oh what is it she's like a specialist um nurse for cancer patients mm -hmm. but like, there's a special word for it that i can't remember <laughs> she like an advanced nurse practitioner or something like or that. like a nurse practitioner in like oncology maybe maybe i don't know i need to speak to my sisters more <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what anyone does but like um my mum worked on the maternity ward of the milton Keynes hospital for um decades um one of my older sisters has gone into uh that as well like just general nursing <clears throat> and my sister-in-law, I believe, is uh, a nurse. So, like, there's a lot of it around, which is why I'm I'm quite happy with like uh, the whole jujitsu thing. Cause I'm like, oh, I, I'm hurt, I'm hurt. I need to go to one of one of these people. They know what to do. <laughs> like before, I like catastrophize and say, oh, I need to go to an actual doctor. Or I need to do this. Like, I'll message people and I say, this really, really hurts. Is this just like a muscle thing that I can do with like ice and heat? And they're like, no, go, go, go see the doctor. <laughs> like now, don't be a dick about it. <laughs> so that's always nice. Um, that is one of the perils of being a nurse. 
Yeah. There's always someone with some questions and it's like weird and wonderful questions about their bodies <laughs> and you're like, mm, that's not, not what I do, but I, yeah. can, I can give you an informed guess and tell you maybe, you know, oh, I've got this rash, well, you should go to a pharmacist <laughs> or your I doctor. I don't want to see um, you do get some weird and wonderful... Yeah, it's just like if you know a thing or two about computers, all you get is fucking <laughs> people messaging you, my computer's a bit slow, can you uh, come around and help me? I'm like, oh, oh, fine, fine, as long as I get to stroke your dog. That's that's what most of my life is at the moment, <laughs> just finding people <laughs> who have dogs and going to play with them. <laughs> um, so... I'm like I'm assuming that you've been at the same jujitsu gym since you started training jujitsu. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> no. How how much have you moved around since so, you started? So well, when I started, I started in an MMA gym. Um, uh, at the time I started, they only had evening classes, and then mm. when I started working for NHS Twenty Four, that was mainly evening and weekends because it's an out of hour service mm. so I couldn't go to that gym anymore so I started going to another gym that's just around the corner from here um, that is um, it was at the time Hoist Gracie um, and it's uh, and they had morning classes mm. so I started going there I fell in love with the gi and then they were going more self-defense and um <laughs> That's the cat freaking out, if you can hear that in the background. Um, so they started going more and more self-defense, and it wasn't really going the way, like, I was kind of dreading going in, and it wasn't a good, it's not that it wasn't a good environment, because like, I'm sure it suits a lot of people, yeah. um, but at the time it was not suitable for me, and so I started going um, to Marcus's gym. Yeah, and Marcus instead is much more towards the competition side of things. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah. So so I trained at the old Hoist Gracie gym, which is now no longer Hoist Gracie. It's a hmm. Connection Gracie for maybe two years, and then now I've been with Marcus for about two and a half years. So I did about six months at the okay. Six, about six months at the MMA gym, mm. about two years, um, and Hoy Gracie, uh, Hoy's Gracie gym, and then, so about, yeah, about two so and a half years at Marcus's. So did you get your uh, blue belt from the Hoy's Gracie gym? Yes, I got my blue belt from Hoy's Gracie gym. Okay, and cool. Then, and then over the last two years, because I've been, I, I did my nursing as a um, concentrated two years instead of three years, a two yeah. years master's program. So it was, um, like, we still fit the same amount of practice hours as the undergraduate degree, but we have to do it in two years instead of three. So, um, so I've not been able to train much at all. Like, yeah. over the last two years, I've only managed maybe once a week. We're, ba we're getting a bit distracted That's because right. in the background, for our <laughs> listeners, so we have food. my partner Giles, who's just come home from um, <laughs> Asda, although there are other um, supermarkets available in Scotland. Uh, but he just come back from Asda. So He's <laughs> moving in slow motion to try and not to make too much noise. <laughs> he, he's not here. I'm not here. <laughs> 
But you don't see <laughs> that me. wasn't aggressive enough. I don't believe you're Scottish at <laughs> all. <laughs> That's more like it. Yeah. So it's just <laughs> wonderful to watch him move in slow motion. What's in the team foil? Lasagna. Why did you get lasagna? My mom made it. How? So where was it? <laughs> oh well, at least, at least it's cold in the boot of the car, so <laughs> it's fine. He's gonna make us breakfast, so there'll be a lot of weird cooking noises in the background. Yummy. <laughs> um, so, like, any training is better than no training. Like, um, at the moment I can't train like properly, so I only attend the. Uh, women's Friday classes and if I'm traveling around to meet people I'll attend the class with Mm -hmm. them because um, I'm a glutton for punishment (laughs) not to the point of Arizona because she definitely likes pain and it's weird but um, she's lovely about it (laughs) (laughs) like on the uh, podcast yesterday she was like I'm gonna tap you, I'm gonna tap you. I'm like, okay, okay. And then we rolled and she didn't. I was so upset. <laughs> but she could have, like, 16 fit, like times, like, in a row. She was like, oh, hey, oh, hey, just jumping around me. Mm. And, like, she moves like a crab. It's ridiculous. She's so flexible as well. Yeah, like. it's ridiculous. She put her leg, like, like, I had my hooks in and she just literally lifted her leg all the way up and then moved back. And I was like, well, that's not fair. My leg can't go that high. How am I supposed to keep my hook in? She's like, oh, I don't worry about that. <laughs> I can't do our accent. I'm just going to make a fool of myself. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> she's, she's amazing. I've been up to train with her a couple of times. Mm. and uh, um, She's such a, a genuinely nice person. Like, a oh, genuinely... Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I love... Like, I spent most of yesterday with her and it was just so fun. Yeah. I had such a great day. Um... But back to you. <laughs> so you you've got your two year intensive nursing mm-hmm. study thing in my bob. Is that coming to an end? Yes, I've finished. So Woo! I finished in January. High Check five. you out. <laughs> I finished in January. I qualified. I am now officially a staff nurse uh, in Glasgow at um, sure. uh, accident and emergency. That's so amazing. I'm an, I'm an accident and emergency nurse, which is pretty. So does that mean? Sweet. Like that means babysitting drunks on a Friday and Saturday night. That's what it means. Nice. Yeah. So but it's fine. I don't mind. You're still doing shift work then. Yes. So it, it is always shift work. So we work twelve-hour shifts. So it's um, quarter to eight to eight. So whether it's you know quarter to eight at night to eight in the morning or quarter mm. to eight in the morning to eight at night. And we work um, over four, a four-week period. We do three weeks of three days and one week of four days to make okay. full-time. Um, and although it sounds like you're only working three days a week, like there's Excuse a couple me. of days that you're usually just... <laughs> Fucking hell, I've got the water burst. <laughs> <laughs> Recovering. <laughs> yeah, my body's a bit broken after yesterday. Yeah. Um, yeah, like... So... Yeah, you're still, like, some people might go, oh, so, like, you've always got three or four days off a week, but but you're getting yeah. you're getting the same amount of hours in as every other person who works, like, their nine to five, essentially. Yeah, um, yeah my, my first day, day off is usually a sleep day. Whether mm. it's a day, day shift or night shift, um, it's 
yeah, I usually really struggle. It's, mm. it's physically demanding and it is oh. mentally demanding. So yeah. you are shattered. Um, and if it's night shift, it can be a bit more challenging as well because you know it's you're trying to kind of get into a night shift pattern and then yeah. get out of a night shift pattern. And you know, it's one of your days off is always like definitely like a, a sleep day. And yeah, yeah, it must play havoc with your body. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't know whether it's coming or going. Like yeah. um, yesterday, I I was up at two, so that I could travel up here. And in the morning, you left at two in the morning. Yeah, but I didn't go to bed till ten because I was teaching the women's class on Friday evening. I didn't want to not do it. So um, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> so I had I only had a few hours sleep, but um, like after the first two and a half three hours i could feel my eyes going and i was like oh no <laughs> i've still got five hours of driving left <laughs> i don't need this stress so that's when i had my first stop did you have an app at any point yeah so after my first stop i was like i'm just gonna close my eyes for like 15 20 minutes and see if that helps and like that really, it really did help like um i was having a conversation with Haley um the other week with a another girl that we train with and um Haley said she always keeps like a cap in her car so if she's tired she'll have like a 20 minute power nap and like I travel a lot like I drive around the country mm -hmm. a lot and like normally I just power through and get to where I'm going but um this time I was like no I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna treat myself to a nap <laughs> treat myself to a nap <laughs> so um yeah like, I closed my eyes for 20 minutes and then like I wasn't tired for the rest of the journey um like I yawned through a little bit of yesterday's podcast just like I'm yawning through this one because I still haven't recovered but um, yeah that power nap really did me good <laughs> like unbelievably um, I like a good nap yeah I'm dead excited about going home this evening because um, like if I get home early enough I'm going to go to the cinema with my brother but if that doesn't pan out I plan to sleep for 12 hours and like not do anything tomorrow. Like I'll deliver Nando's to my house or something and then just <laughs> sit in bed with chicken. <laughs> oh, yummy. <laughs> but um, yeah, like I'm so happy I'm not working tomorrow. That would have killed me off so much. Yeah, it's a, it's a very long trip to mm. get all the way up from Milton Keynes to Aberdeen. Yeah. And then, I mean, but Aberdeen to Glasgow is only like maybe what, three, three and a half, three hours? And a half hours? Yeah. yeah. So, so you've still got, you've still got quite a bit to get home. Like at least it's another six hours. hours. Yeah. Yeah. Plus pee breaks. Always count for pee breaks. Like I always count at least half an hour, regardless of whether I'm going like an hour away or six hours away. <laughs> I always count for at least half an hour pee breaks. Yeah. I have to start accounting for them more because like, um, after my surgery, things are a bit uh, wonky, where I have to kind of relearn how to do things. So um, I don't have as much. Uh, this is going to be a bit TMI. I don't have as much <laughs> bladder control as I used to, but like, I still think I do. And um, like, because some bits are still a bit numb, like. I've been caught short a couple of times now. <laughs> like, nope, I need to just go to the toilet now. <laughs> this isn't well, I think, like, overall, that's very much a woman thing because, yeah. like, a lot of women, and it's not just uh, women with uh, with children who have problems mm. with uh, um, 
with incontinence or with like urge and kind of frequency and and things like that so um that's just another one of the wonderful so amazing wonderful things. things about being a woman is your bladder sucks yeah so. i'm so glad i made this choice to uh to do all of this to my body like <laughs> you know in, in the long run it'll be worth it it's it's, it's, it's it never feels worth it maybe like immediately post a surgery when you're sore and painful and uh, that's the ridiculous thing um i was expecting to be in excruciating pain but i wasn't like there were, um when i woke up from surgery i thought that i was going to be on morphine because that's what i was told would happen but um when i spoke to the nurse they're like no we've just given you some like basic paracetamol i was like what she's like yeah like the um the area that's operated on doesn't have a high concentration of nerve Nerves. endings. Mm -hmm. So, like, it's not actually that painful. It's only when, like, your stitches pull that it actually hurts. Yeah. And Are you happy to discuss your surgery? Yeah. Can I ask you questions about it? Yeah, go for yeah. it. What, what, what surgery did you get? Um, it's, uh, what's the technical term? I think it's like vaginoplasty, something like yeah. that. Um, so, it's basically like a penile inversion mm -hmm. which is super fun i've seen videos about it yeah the videos did you see the animated one yeah did you see, yeah the animated one um that's not the technique that they no. use in the uk okay. but um it's one of the ones that was developed in germany oh. and um it has a really good success rate um at present there are five surgeons in the uk who can do it mm -hmm. and uh two of them are retiring <laughs> in like a year so the guy that i got was um dr thomas and he um he's the one of the ones that's going to be whoa nope <laughs> he's one of the ones that's going to be retiring in a couple of years uh, he has like the most experience yeah. in the uk and um the other guys are, are he has the best name for someone who performs that surgery his name's dr bellringer and <laughs> i love that name so much but um, like they have two different techniques mm -hmm. and his technique um, and aftercare is a lot different to Dr. Thomas's. So when I came into recovery, I had my pack in for five days. Mm -hmm. I had um, only paracetamol and I think that was it. Like on the fifth day, when they take the pack out, they let you stand up and stuff and move around. And... Um, but so like, did you have to stay in bed for five days yeah, while was, you were recovering? I was lying down for five days. I know. It's like high risk of like blood clots as well. Do you get injections? Yeah. Did you get your like, yeah. tummy? Yeah. Like, um, every night. Anticoagulants. Yeah. yeah. It was super fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, the worst part of my surgery was the so I had my surgery on a Thursday. Um, slept through that night it was fine woke up the next day and from about eight in the morning i just felt really sick mm -hmm. and like um i was in a really bad way for the whole of friday i was i felt sick all the way through it and like after after i threw up everything i had for breakfast uh, my body started purging like bile and stuff yeah so um, and then at like one o'clock in the morning uh after what 12 13 hours of being in excruciating pain and like when i say excruciating pain when i throw up like obviously you tense yeah your lower parts and it really hurt like coughing hurts 
So um, when um, I had a really great night nurse uh, who was uh, South African and she was literally brilliant. And um, I had an anti-sickness medication in the afternoon that they put into the top of my shoulder yeah. and it hurt so much. <laughs> like it felt like getting shot. Um, and then in the evening, the South African one was like, oh, I'm going to give you one of these. And I was petrified because I remembered how the last mm-hmm. one felt. I was like, I really don't want it. And she was like, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. You won't even feel it. You'll be fine. And I was like, uh, okay. And then like, um, she put it into my thigh and it really, really hurt. But then after that, like everything, was everything was fine. And then um, for the next five days, like everything was brilliant. Um the nurses at the end were like, all I keep hearing is, like, everyone's worried about you because you're not calling on them. And I was like, I only asked them for, like, water refills. And they're like, yeah, yeah you can refill it yourself. I was like, well, I'm going to do that now. <laughs> so then they just didn't bother coming in. Um, but, like, uh, there was one so other... So was it, like, a general surgical ward or is it a specialist ward? I went to... Like, is it, like, a... Does the, he, is it on the NHS or do you, did you have to get it privately done? I, I don't know how much the, like, does the NHS fund. Yeah, so yeah. the NHS funds it, but um, because it's specialist surgery, mine was done at a private clinic. Okay. So I went to the Nuffield in Brighton. Okay. And um, so is that what they specialise in? Um, I mean, I'm sure the surgeon will specialise, but they like, specialised in urology okay. and uh, things like that. They have like general. Um, general surgeries as well mm. but they have a specialist urology department uh, for uh, gender reassignment mm-hmm. um yeah so when i like he does two surgeries a day the surgery itself takes about six six and a half hours mm-hmm. to perform um so yeah i had the afternoon slot and the the girl who had her operation Actually, it was the day before. Like I, I met her because like, a couple of my friends came to see her and then they all came to see me. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had the worst time <laughs> because yeah. she um, she started bleeding and they couldn't stop the bleeding. And um, she lost four pints of blood. And she, was, like, she looked like she was on death's door. Then they gave her like a transfusion and stuff. And uh, she started to pack up a bit after that. But um, she's she's had a real tough time of it. But um, yeah, like I was speaking to when I was speaking to Arizona yesterday, I was telling her about like all of the mental uh, nonsense that I have. Like one of the things that I suffer with is a massive guilt complex because um, I I firmly don't understand how I can have such like a decent life like I have a lot going for me yeah. and then a lot of other people in my situation struggle really really hard so yeah. um like when it comes mm-hmm. to things like uh the trans community and like women in jiu-jitsu I try to do everything I can to um give back and raise awareness yeah yeah so absolutely I mean you hear it every day and I think if you follow LGBT um in general kind of news and yeah. uh, and you follow the community you always hear about how horrible it is you know like yeah. the trans experience as a whole um, and especially in the states like you see so many um, i think it's primarily black trans women but there's yeah. so many trans women that get killed and assaulted mm-hmm. and and the prevalence for like 
assaults, sexual assaults, um, murder. It's yeah. like so much higher. It's such a, um, a, a hugely risky, you know. Yeah. And people, and that's what re- I really don't understand. People who are like, "Oh, you choose to do this," and it's yeah. like, if it was a choice, I don't think anyone will choose to <laughs> yeah. go through something like this. <laughs> like the amount of ha- harassment. Um, that you see, you know, in general, you know, against trans, both men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, n- no one will make that choice if it was a choice. Yeah. You know, like, it's it's so challenging and it's so, it, it's, it puts you at such high risk mm. of, you know, violence. Yeah. And, and obviously... You say you're lucky, you have you know a decent life, and yeah. you, I'm assuming you have good support, family support yeah, around like, you, and and you know, and, and it makes a big difference. Hmm. But I don't think you should feel guilty because it's not your, you're not the one carrying out the harassment and and yeah. the violence, and and yes, there will be a lot of people out there that have a really hard time, but it's not because of you, you know, I like know so that. so long as you keep. Um, raising awareness and you know mm-hmm. and, and you are maybe in that privileged position that you do have a good support network where you feel more comfortable speaking about your experience well, yeah. and it will mean that other trans kids who are maybe not quite to that point yet where they feel comfortable coming out they see you speaking out about it and they say you know oh it's, it is possible it gives them hope yeah you know and I think it's the same for for us as women seeing the black belts who who work full time and it's like yeah. oh there is hope we can do that one day we can be working full time and still get a black belt we don't have mm. to sacrifice something so you're you know obviously it's going to be challenging regardless because it's, yeah. n- it's not a, an easy experience to go through but for you to be able to speak about it it gives other people that hope of you know it is possible one day i can have a good home life or a good work yeah. life or you know, a good a good life on the whole, uh, and go through this transition that maybe seems like you know the most challenging thing mm. ahead of. Does yeah. that make? I don't know. A I don't know people, if I'm. Like I know for a lot of people, the hardest part about coming out is how um, friends and family react, especially when they come from an environment where like if something vaguely LGBT comes on like the news or uh, the radio or something they react poorly to yeah. it so it just makes things that little bit harder but what a lot of people don't understand is if that's in a person's life directly it forces them to think about it. their situation yeah so um I know for a lot of people um my coming out meant that they had to actually look at the situation mm-hmm. more objectively and um they had to kind of say to themselves do I still want this person in my life mm-hmm. and is this enough of a block to um cause me to not want to speak to them anymore <laughs> but um yeah it's fine over time like things would like things are changing a little bit but um it's more piece by piece yeah so how was your family when you first came out <laughs> hi dan how are you doing <laughs> my family pretty cool um like because i have a big family it's um it's very 
it was like that's what was difficult for me and like I came out to everyone individually not as like a group like my sister came out to my parents for so you me. have a twin brother yeah and you have five sisters and two other brothers two other brothers yeah, so there's so nine of us there's together nine of yeah. yeah um so yeah that that is a big family to come out to yeah it's not how did everyone take it everyone's been super supportive um no one was really like ah oh, i don't like it you need to <laughs> oh my god the cat just freaked out <laughs> um no one was really like averse to it so um and everyone was just super supportive they they approached it more from a like if this makes you happy you should pursue it like point of view not this is immoral this is like this isn't what our religion teaches us and all of that nonsense like people tend to just look at it more objectively so that was pretty cool for me but like i know in that respect i'm very fortunate in the um I I have a lot of friends who've lost all of their family <laughs> and uh like they kind of li- live in seclusion mm-hmm. and it's not it's not a great environment to mm-hmm. um live in at all like one of my friends actually lives up here I was supposed to see if I could uh meet them whilst I was here but there's a there's a chance that I'm not going to be able to so I'm going to have to come back up again soon mm-hmm. which will be fun <laughs> can't wait to drive all this away again <laughs> you know there's su- such a thing as trains and planes and yeah i was gonna fly up yesterday but my biggest issue is i don't like being tied to a, a, a place so if i flew up it would have meant that i'd need to get a train everywhere or i'd get taxis and stuff and i don't i don't need that stress in my life I, i'd rather just be able to come and go as i please mm. so um yeah whilst it's painful and it hurts my feelings it's the best <laughs> option it hurts your feelings to be driving yeah like i got a bit bored after yeah. like like when hour 7 came <laughs> i was like oh what am i going to listen to now i can't listen to people talking again why not um what podcast do you listen to uh i mean i know we have dad strauss in the room so <laughs> the, the answer will have to be <laughs> i've already heard them all <laughs> dad's podcast but Well, either is podcast. it narcissistic to listen to my one again and again mm, and just keep no, going? I think over it's it. maybe a little bit obsessive if you're yeah. um listening to it from a what can I improve point of view rather than an enjoyment point of yeah. view. But, but um I listened to a podcast called Your Mom's House with um Christina Pozitsky and Tom Segura, which is amazing. Um they're just they're two comedians and they are like just filthy and yeah. it's hilarious i love every moment of it um other than that uh obviously joe rogan experience and there is another one but i can't remember what it's called so my two favorite podcasts apart from dance of course what? and yours of course what i am um, my favorite murder which is true crime with a feminist spin. Yes. And it's uh, it's really funny. It's really good. And um I love it. It's <laughs> really enjoyable. And then um the other one is one called Guys We Fact and oh. is a an anti-slut shaming podcast and it's two comedians from New York or who live in New York 
um, who talk and they interview that are kind of guys that they previously had sex with or one night stands oh, or I've heard of these they two. interview or it's other people in relation to like healthy sex lives and things mm. like that and again it's hilarious it's really funny I love it so yeah good. like so that, that's one that I will definitely if you're not into true crime yeah then um the guys we fact podcast it's it's so funny it's hilarious <laughs> it's really good like, um, admittedly, um, so like, because uh, the guys on your mom's house are like comedians, they have a whole load of guests which are mm-hmm. like just comedians, and um, the one that I listened to when I was coming back from Swansea on Friday morning um, was uh, with a guy called Wheeler Walker Jr., mm-hmm. who's like this country musician, but um, he sings about ridiculous stuff. And um, it's got some of my favourite songs now. <laughs> like, um, uh, I don't know if I want to say them on the podcast. <laughs> like, it's, it sounds really misogynistic, but it's more um, just hilarious. <laughs> like, um, there's a song called Redneck Shit, where he just talks about all of the redneck shit that he loves to do. <laughs> like, watch his mum taking a shit, throwing stones at cripples and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's fun. There's a song called Pussy King. <laughs> it talks about going on tour. That's fun. Um, oh, what is it? Eating pussy, sucking dick, and kicking ass. That's another good one. Yeah, that's some really good songs. Yeah, <laughs> I'd highly recommend giving it a listen. <laughs> Check them out. Definitely. <laughs> um, I, I think we've gone slightly off topic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah we started with jiu-jitsu and we've gone on to nursing and, nursing. and healthcare and eating pussy and sucking dicks. Well, <laughs> we had to get there somehow. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, with your uh, jiu-jitsu journey, I'm going to call it, um, I don't know why... I get really embarrassed about saying it. It just seems a bit cliche. <laughs> it's a journey. Well, it is. It is a journey. It's a personal journey that everyone sees yeah. differently, and it's and I think we're really always easy to judge people on, um, you know, on their training or you know, mm-hmm. um, I know for instance, there's a, I've recently found out there's a gym in um, the north of England where women and men are not allowed to train together what which i thought was really weird at first and i was quite shocked um but then when you think about it like there will be right what i've been told is because they don't want drama and i think that's not acceptable because you know if you have adults that are you know paying for a service Mm. then you should expect them to behave like adults and not make drama you know like Mm. I think doing the it's the easy option to say well women and men are not allowed to train together because then there's drama then you know I think that's taking the easy way out and not wanting to deal with things as they come along but anyway but then when you think about it I think a lot of women do go into jiu-jitsu for you know self-defense reasons or because they've been mm. assaulted and I think there's definitely it's very important to have women only spaces yeah so after I've been thinking about it I can actually see why women only classes well 
There's I don't know. I don't know if then having only like, women-only classes is the problem, though. I think there should definitely be the options. Yeah. Um, like then people should be allowed to also train together. I don't know. Like personally, I think that if you if you only allow women to train with women, you automatically obscure a pathway. Yeah. Because um, one, men get uh, men get better by fighting women. Uh, where they're um, they tend to be more technical women get better when they fight with men because they learn how to handle pressure and um, strength a lot more Um, and I think it's treating people like children when you separate them yeah like don't get me wrong that there are benefits to having women only spaces again I was speaking to uh, Arizona about this yesterday like with women I I find that um, with a lot of things women need more of a reason to do things because you have uh like it's drilled into you from a young age like i don't know how it works in other countries and stuff but like uh, at least when i was growing up i i could see that my especially around my sisters people were like oh when are you having kids when are you going to do this when are you going to do this so time is yep society a, a always tells you as a woman, you need to be the mirror. You have to take mm. as little space as you can. You yeah. cannot be loud. You cannot be opinionated. Um, your life will be getting married, have kids. And obviously things are changing, and it's not like that yeah. for everyone. But um, but there is definitely that message in society that, you know, to be a proper good woman, you are yeah. someone who is more quiet, more demure, more... Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think like jujitsu is, you know, instead you cannot just be passive. You have to be active. Yeah. You know, you have to be actively, you, you know, trying things out. And I think another thing is that fear of failure. I think one of the things I learned from jujitsu that is the most transferable thing that I've learned is you cannot be afraid of failing. You need to try things, and if you Mm. fail, you just try something else, and you try something else, or you try and fix it. And but I definitely was a lot more afraid of trying things. I'd be like, oh, I can't do that. that like my views before Jiu-Jitsu was always, oh, I can't do that. I'm not going to yeah. bother trying. But my views since Jiu-Jitsu is like, well, I'll give it a try. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And and I think, it, again, is is So, this is a bit of a, a, a kind of... <laughs> I'm going to go large and bring it back in, okay? okay. So, um, a couple of weeks ago, I joined into a web seminar about leadership in healthcare with um, an um, American researcher called Brene Brown, who, um, she's on TED Talks, she's quite actually quite well known for her studies on shame and vulnerability. Yeah. And what she was talking about was shame from a feminine perspective is a lot about perfectionism and body image and what you have to be because that's what society expects you to be while shame from a masculine perspective is all about weakness and not being you know being weak so people like the kind of male perspective of shame is i am i'm weak i am not good enough for this 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 or you know or taking feminine characteristics while the female perspective on shame is more of a body image perfectionist sort of thing and i think jiu-jitsu is one of those things that really helps you tackle that 
because yeah. uh, you were talking about you know jujitsu teaching you about seeing your body what for what it can do mm. and not looking at your body as like something that i need to change this i'm ashamed of this i don't like this whatever but yeah. you actually look at your body in a way that it's like well you know i can use my height because you know yeah. i'm tall and i can use my height in jiu-jitsu or i'm small i can use my speed in jiu-jitsu i'm flexible i can use that in jiu-jitsu you know so it teaches you to look at your body as like something that you know is for what it can do rather than for how it does not fit the image society tells you should yeah. fit i don't know what my point was <laughs> I went too large and now I'm struggling to bring it back. You can't bring it in. Um, (laughs) But but yeah, so I I think, you know, one of the beauties of jiu-jitsu is is losing that shame on your body as a, um, you know, as a, it's not perfect, it's not what society Mm. tells me to be and, you know, and things like that. And there was something else I wanted to say about that. And now I forgot. Oh, no. Like, um, another thing that I would say is, like, with the whole time thing, um, I think it does cause women to kind of assess what they invest in more. So, um, where there is that pressure to achieve things by a certain time, like, if you enter into jiu-jitsu, yeah, if you enter into jiu-jitsu, how is that going to affect these other things? And, like, um, if you are working to, like married children home uh, career and all of this how do you fit jujitsu into that especially if you're yeah yeah and there, so there's i think there's a whole section of issues <coughs> that people in jujitsu don't tend to consider and one of them is uh, the financial responsibilities of women because women mm. with families still will have bear the brunt of looking after the kids and yeah. paying for things that relate to kids in the time responsibilities so mm. it's a financial and a time issue i think that stops a lot of women getting into jiu-jitsu because it's t- t- in general it's more expensive being a woman because just look at the pink tax and how yeah. you know you you buy the same razor and they're pink and they cost 20 percent more than the male razor and they're blue you know mm. and it's scientifically and and a lot of there's been a lot of research I don't have all the, I can't give you references, <laughs> but there has been a lot of research what? that's been gone into this. Yeah. So there is um, a financial tax on being a woman in general. I mean, women that have kids will bear the brunt of the responsibility of looking after them, mm. taking them to school, taking them from schools, whatever. So in general, men have more of a disposable income and also more of a disposable time to be yeah. able to use to, to go into jiu-jitsu and to do that. Well, I can speak about that from a first-hand perspective because I don't have as much time as I used to <laughs> because I have to do... Um, women things. Yeah, women <laughs> things. Um, but, like, also, like, things that really kind of get on my nerves a little bit more is, like, um, women have to pay for things like uh, tampons and pads, whereas men can get Viagra on... Prescription. Prescription. It's like, how how is that fair? Yeah. (laughs) It seems weird. uh, Yeah. But yeah, if I want to go somewhere now, like previously, I'd be like, wicked, I'll throw on a t-shirt and then go. But now I have to actually put like an hour and a half, two hours (laughs) into thinking about what I want to wear, how I want to look and all of this nonsense. So, did you notice 
because I, I know you know there there is definitely I think there is privilege in general regardless of who yeah. you are you will have some sort of privilege over other people so um you know we were talking about immigration with Dan yesterday um, and mm. Giles at dinner and I was saying I don't think Giles is an immigrant because he is very Scottish Giles is my partner for the listeners uh-huh. um, so he he's got a Scottish accent he's white he's lived here since he was three years old his mom is Scottish however Giles's dad is Spanish um, and and um, I thought there was something odd about you. About the Garcia surname. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Giles' dad is Spanish, and, I, and Giles was born in Tenerife and came here when he was three years old. So he doesn't remember that much. He's been here most of his life. And I was saying, well, I don't think you're an immigrant. But then Dan kind of convinced me that <laughs> <laughs> maybe Giles is actually an immigrant. And what we're talking about is actually... To be fair, it's about also the way he experiences life. So Giles does experience life with people saying, oh, Garcia is not a British surname. Where are you from? Yeah. You know, so he does have that experience. However, he does sound Scottish. He looks Scottish. He sounds he, he's, more you know, than Scottish. So he will have that level of privilege over someone who's an immigrant who has an accent. Yeah. And then, but I'm, you know... When people are like, Christiana, where are you from? And I'm like, Italy. They were like, oh, I thought you were Polish. As if, like, it's better to be Italian than Polish. So I'm like, what the yeah. fuck? But then I will probably have then, because Italians are maybe not viewed um, in the media and in, you know, yeah. um, as coming here and taking our jobs as much as Polish people, yeah. then maybe I have more of a privilege from when I say I'm Italian. So I think there are levels of privilege in general. So, mm. um, so I consider myself pansexual. So it's, I've, you know, I've had a relationship with men and women, and it's, I never had any, you yeah. know, I, like I don't really give a shit what people are, right? Yeah. So, but then people don't know that because I'm in a relationship with Giles, who's a man, yeah. and um, and so I have more of a privilege than maybe someone who is bisexual and in a relationship yeah. with someone of the same gender because they're more visible. Yeah. So. And what I'm trying to get to is, did you see a change in your privilege from yeah. being a man to being a woman? Do you see more, like when we were talking earlier about you being talked over a lot, yeah. do you think that, that would happens, have happened? That happens more. Yeah. It happens more? So um, I feel like I don't have as much of a voice professionally. Well, I didn't have as much of a voice until I stopped caring about how they saw me. Um, so my job requires a certain level of assertion and if i'm not willing to fight and be combative against um, the people that i work with then i will just be talked over so um that's been super fun also like little things people hold doors open for me now more they um, like they give up seats and stuff they ask me if I want to sit down and things I'm like look at the size of me I don't want to sit down <laughs> I need all the exercise I can get <laughs> um, but yeah like the um, it's weird because personally I don't believe that most people see me as female like out in the street so uh, I still have like I have a lot of issues mentally <laughs> I've got a lot going on in my in my noggin um 
so like I, I've already talked to you about uh, my guilt complex yeah. like I have um, I have a certain degree of uh, internalized transphobia um, which is due to being raised in a, a male misogynistic environment transitioning and then still retaining some of the thoughts and feelings uh, about things but now those thoughts and feelings are transposed onto me so I have a very negative inner monologue about certain things so um i i need to when i speak i need to reframe a lot of the things i say because what i say about myself is very negative and all of my friends and family pick up on it (laughs) they're like why do you always talk about yourself like you're a piece of shit i'm like because i am (laughs) that's how it is so um but because of that i don't really notice a lot of other things going on around me so um I think I mentioned in Dan's podcast, like I've had like negative experiences since my transition, but not a great deal. Like I noticed people looking at me, talking about me, pointing at me. A couple of people have spat at me. Um, no one's tried to like uh, really attack me properly, mm-hmm. um, which has been fun. Uh, but yeah, like there are subtle changes, and like my so I've my social transition started in August 2015. So I've I've lived as a female for uh, just over three years, and um, there are still times where I have pangs of um, what's it called? Like there's a disjointed feeling. Like when someone refers to me as uh, female and stuff on like calls and things, I'm like, who are they talking about? Like I still have like kind of those things. Um, not so much with my old name because no one really has called me that since. So like um, when I hear it, I don't like my ears don't prick up and I go, ooh, are they talking about me? Like that doesn't happen. Uh, it never really has. Everyone's been super respectful with it. Like. Um, but now when it does happen, it's very, um, it's very jarring. So like, um, I met someone who I went to school with, uh, a few weeks ago and we were playing like board games at one of my friend's house and, um, they were like, oh, it's your go. But they said my old name and like, when that happens, I continue as normal because I don't like to address it. Addressing it just makes everyone else feel bad (laughs) so um he knows he got it wrong i know he got it wrong everyone in the rooms know he got it wrong don't need to address it because the next time he used the correct name and it was fine so um and i think if it's someone that's not seen you in a long time then i have to give them that there is like a period of adjustment yeah um you know i think sometimes it's maybe automatic so long as they're Mm. corrected you know, after the first time, yeah. make sure that it doesn't happen again. But this is the thing, I I was male for 28, 27, 28 years of my life, and I can't just magically flick a switch and have everyone speak to me as I want them to, yeah. that's unreasonable. So there's a period of adjustment, like you said, and I, I've told everyone who, like in my family and all my friends and stuff, like my transition isn't just my transition it's also yours um because it doesn't just affect me it affects everybody in my life 
So it would be unreasonable for me to say, you've known this person all your life, now change all these things that you know. Like, it's fine. Like, my mum's mental anyway. She, um, she called me all of my sister's names and my brother's names before mine every time we spoke on the phone anyway. So how am I going to get mad at my mum? Yeah. It's just weird things. But, um, yes, I... I definitely see as part of your transition do you get psychological support as well because it will be you know it's it's a huge a huge thing in your life yeah this and, is one of and like you said you know there are there's a lot of things that you know at least it sounds like you're very aware of them that are affecting your mental health yeah um, and I think it's important to get support to be able to address it but I don't know how much so NHS or how much like transitioning when I started my transition, I had uh, six sessions with a uh, psychiatrist, psychiatrist uh, or a mental health professional, and um, they were really helpful um, because they allowed me to deal with a couple of the issues I had about my transition initially, and um, the hows and whys I felt bad and stuff. But um, since then, like I haven't really had any intervention from. Uh, mental health professional um, which is weird because like I've always found that it's ridiculous that there's like even like, so when trans people are talked about in the media the focus is always on the outward presentation or a person's medical transition nobody even within the community nobody really speaks about the mental aspects of transition on a person's health mm -hmm. so like when you do transition like there are people who legitimately feel like everyone should see them as a woman and treat them as such but they completely disregard the fact that human beings are um they're programmed to react to what they see. Mm -hmm. So if someone sees me in Sainsbury's and they're scanning things in and they go, okay, sir, that's going to be this. Like, I can't have a go at them because they either read my body language, they've read my voice, they've read my body yeah. type. They Like, there's more to it than just your outward presentation. Mm -hmm. So you have to make allowances for that. Like, I can understand how it's frustrating for you, but... At the same time, you have to understand that it's not just you. Because you also have um, masculine women who get referred to as men. You have well, feminine yeah. men I who mean, get referred to as men. In one of my very first placements, I was told by a wee dementia lady that I would make a good husband to someone one day. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because I have a very low voice and, and you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not a small demure girl. But, you know. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. So... so you will but have, yeah. yeah. So it's, um, it's not always, you know, because of you. Sometimes it's because of the person that you're speaking to. Yeah. And it's their experience and their... Definitely, yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. There are dickheads in the yeah. world. There are people who want to get a reaction from you. But by giving them the, that reaction, you're basically saying to them that it's okay for them to do it. So when I see people who are legitimately reading me as... Um, like trans and calling me sir I'm just like no problem dude and I just Big bounce rest. yeah just don't go back there yeah like a lot of the time you like this is what I don't understand with a lot of people if if you receive a service that you don't enjoy don't use that service yeah 
and talk other people into not using it. Like, admittedly, Boycott. yeah, it might not be um, convenient for you. It might not be um, what's it called? Like, it might not have an impact on like the the business or anything. But by you not contributing to it, you're no longer contributing to the problem. Yeah. So I don't know. Like transition's weird anyway. Like lots. Like. I mean, I, I struggle when I stopped smoking because yeah. it was like, I've been a smoker my whole life and now I'm no longer a smoker. How do I see myself? Yeah. So I can't imagine like something like so much bigger scale yeah. than transitioning. There's like, a lot of the, change. That kind of mental mm. self-awareness and, and mental change of going from, you know, I am a woman, but I have a male's body to I am a woman and I have a woman's body as well, yeah. you know. But, um, so... The, one of the larger mental aspects of transition that um, people struggle with is the fact that you see yourself every day. Other people interact with you on a less regular basis. So um, I started my hormone treatment in 2013 and um, like I lived away from my family like in Southampton. So I would see my family every two months every three months and some of them I wouldn't see for like a year <laughs> and um, like every time I saw them they would comment on my appearance mm -hmm. but because I see it every day I don't notice these changes yeah. so there is um, like it's the same with kind of like being a PT where um, if you want someone to appreciate the changes that they've made uh, to their body don't you don't compare yourself to other people you compare yourself to yourself. yourself so if I struggled to see changes in my transition I would look at pictures of me from a long time ago and I'd say well that's different that's different that's different and um kind of try to appreciate the things that have changed and like there are things that aren't going to change that I have no control over so I have to kind of rationalize in my head that that's not going to happen and just to deal with it like I'm lucky that the things that I wanted to change about myself were largely uh, affected by hormone treatment so um, I don't have as many of those issues but I know people who hyper focus on their hands and feet I know people who hyper focus on uh, different aspects of their their face, their hips. Yeah, everyone's dysmorphia will be yeah, different and based on their own kind of views of exactly. themselves. So, like, and gender dysphoria, like, just because I've gone through the hormone treatment and the surgery and stuff doesn't mean that that stops. Mm -hmm. So I still have the voice in the back of my head telling me I should be better or I should be presenting in a different way or I should be doing this, this and this. But, um... Like, I'm hyper aware of the um, issues that I suffer with. So I know when I'm doing something irrational. But the worst part about that is I know that I'm doing something irrational and I can't not do it. Mm -hmm. So um, that's kind of where my uh, depression and anxiety come from and that I feel like I'm a little bit out of control. So, um, like... I'm trying to cut down on things like sugar and um, like just I want to call it messy eating 
But um, we see that just as Giles is cooking <laughs> the biggest fry up <laughs> and like Scottish breakfast. <laughs> but, um, sorry for the messy eating and uh, unfortunate today. Um, I'm sure I'll need it. <laughs> but like, it's not something that's gonna change overnight. And I yeah, like I can't be too hard on myself. And I sugar's more addictive than cocaine. So when I walk down the confectionery aisle in the supermarket and I start shaking because I need my fix, like it's a hundred percent natural yeah. to do that. But um, I am getting better with um, the things because like I like to keep something sweet around just in case. But like I've had a packet of peanut M&Ms in my car for the last four days, and like normally I would pick at those while I was driving. Yeah. And yesterday I drove for thirteen hours, and I was like. Not touch that. No, I don't. I didn't need it. But um, they might get eaten on the way home, depending on how hard I work <laughs> this afternoon. Like my back's not as good as I'd like it to be, if I'm honest. Um, but it's fine. Um, but yeah. This this podcast becoming more about me, and I, I'm not sure how I like this. I'm not sure if I like this at all. <laughs> Um, one thing I definitely want to speak to you about is um, your involvement with the Globetrotters. Mm-hmm. So um, you and Giles both go to a lot of Globetrotter camps. Yep. So um, what made you want to get involved with the Globetrotters in the first place? Okay. So um, we've been, well Giles has been to about eight camps and I've been to about seven. Um, when we first, when I first started Jiu-Jitsu, I started looking for books about jiu-jitsu and one yeah. of the books I found was Christian Graugert's um, BJJ Globetrotters book about his experience traveling around the world and um, in training jiu-jitsu. So in, I think it was about 2013 um, we were looking for a holiday and we thought oh well we'll go to, to Copenhagen and see because that's where Christian was training and see if we can train with him for a week. Yeah. And when we went um, there were a few people going the week after, so I was like, well, I'll just organize like a training camp for the week after, bring a few instructors over. So we couldn't change our annual leave, and we didn't manage to go to the full camp. Well, we did one day of his first um, full camp. He had already done a summer camp in Copenhagen by then. Mm. Um, and it was just an amazing experience, like meeting like jiu-jitsu people from all over the world, um, everyone's super open-minded, everyone's super chilled. Mm. Um, Christian is a really, really good guy. Um, and so after that, we just started going to more and more camps. And mm. this year we're doing five, so that's kind <laughs> of... Uh, we're, we're still paying for all of them. On the, <laughs> our credit cards are suffering a little bit. That's um, fine. But, just um, it. but it's, it's always like... In it, I mean, the, the places you go to are amazing because we've been, you know, to a castle in Italy. We've been to a Mjolnir in Reykjavik in Iceland, which no. is a like super amazing gym. I'm sure everyone is has seen. Is it shaped like a hammer? No, but it's uh, it's built into the lake, into like a... Shut up. Like a side, like a, a rock. Like it's built into a rocky side and... And there's like, oh, yeah, it's it's amazing. I'm gonna show you a video <laughs> right after. It's it's so good. Um, and we've been, you know, we've been to Germany. We've been to um to other camps in Italy. We've been to I don't know where else have we been. 
we've been all over the place, you know, um, and it's a great way of um, visiting a new place, yeah. getting tons of training in, because you'll, you'll train like six, seven, eight hours a day, yeah. there's like, you know, 15 instructors for a week, and, you know, each has two classes or so, and... Um, and now Christian has started organizing all these like, talks as well. So he does a talk on getting ideas and making things happen, which is amazing. And mm. um, and Giles is going to give a talk on like the history of grappling um, at the next camp. So, you know, it's... Um, and being Spanish in Britain. And, and, uh, yeah, and <laughs> his experience as an immigrant. Nothing new under the sun. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so he's... Um, but but we all everything is always amazing and you always have a great time. But the best thing is really it's the people because once you mm. go to a camp and you start going to more than one, you tend to see the same people and it's like you have this very intense experience in a very yeah. short time. So you become really close with the people who go to camps and then when you go again, it's like seeing family. Yeah. You know, it's like you see these people again and again and again who all go through this amazing intense experience with you and you share something wonderful and everyone is super chilled, super open-minded, super mm-hmm. um, progressive to a certain extent, I guess. And, um, and yeah, so so we go as participants, but, mm. you know, we log up. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, I've travelled... I've only travelled the UK. Like this year, I told myself I wasn't going to compete because I was sure that, like, I knew that my surgery was going to happen this year. So um, I didn't want to get bogged down in what I did last year, which was just constantly training for a competition. So um, rather than that, I've just attended as many open mats as I can and like just go to visit certain like places and people and train all over the country. Um, where I'm currently in recovery, I can't really do a lot. But um, next year, I'm starting to. I want to like travel a little bit more. I've never really been out of the country, mm-hmm. so um, Jess Fraser from Australia has been pestering me to go to one of her competitions, yeah. uh, not competitions, one of her camps. So I'm gonna try and go to the, the one in Australian Girls in Gear camp. That's gonna be fun. She's amazing. She's, I she's love really, Jess. Yeah. She's so good. I've never met her personally, but we've spoken. Yeah, on... I've never met her personally either. But um, I remember when um, when everything kind of kicked off in the underground. Yeah. Um, you know about you. Like she was so outraged. She was. She oh. was raging. Like, yeah. Yeah. You should have seen the messages she sent me. <laughs> they were brilliant. <laughs> I love her so much. I can't wait to meet her personally. Yeah. Um, and then. I've got, so that's in January, in February I'm going over to Austin, Texas, Yeah. and uh, there's a weekend camp with, um, I'm part of an LGBT group on Facebook called Triangles Everywhere, which is pretty awesome, um, and they've set up like an LGBT uh, like camp, mm-hmm. and where are we? We're staying in like a lake house, so there's like this one big 16 room house on a, a massive lake and I think there are like three gyms in close proximity so we've hired one out for each day Nice. and we're just going to go and roll every day and then chill out in the evenings so I'm so, I'm so excited yeah. about that and uh, I'm looking for other places to go I want to yeah. Uh, yeah I used to compete a lot and then mm. I just really couldn't put the time in because uh, yeah. you know I went back to uni and 
and and was struggling to kind of find the time. But then now I don't really want to. I want to spend my money on going to camps and yeah. and it's so much more enjoyable than going and stressing out before a competition and you know. Mm. Well, next, so I'm trying to put a camp together next year. I, I, have I spoken to you about this already? Well, you've spoken to me about the open mats, like the charity open mats. Yes. Is that going to be but not on camp? Here. Not on here. No. no. Okay. In, in, in private, off the, yeah. off the record. Off the record. So there is something that I'm looking to arrange myself next year. Um, I don't want to release any real detail of it like properly, but um, it's going to be a charity event where I get a lot of very cool people in the same room to uh, roll and um, hopefully support some um, women's crisis centres and... Um, uh, rape prevention charities and stuff so that should be fun um, and other than that like just I want to make sure that I can still do my competition yeah. because I'd like to make that annual if possible like um, it doesn't cost that much to put on I don't well it costs a fair amount like um, I'm yet to break even on the competition, but um, I'm finishing it like so. I've got a lot of last year's medals left this year, so it's uh, it's a bit cheaper. But um, next year I need to buy new medals, so that will be fun. <laughs> the cats have been trying to open the door. That's that's the other noises in the background apart from the frying food. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like the only other camp that I know that I definitely want to go to next year is probably Amsterdam because it's Hayley's birthday around that time and I know she wants to get a group of us yeah. together to go over to it. So well, if you get a chance, I definitely suggest the, the group trotters ones. They're always, <laughs> they're always good fun. Um, there is, I know there's a, a trans man that has been attending and um, uh, I know Christian was saying, so um, I think you are in one of the, the confidential group trotters, women group. Mm. I think you were added to that. Um, so Christian is looking to write a code of ethics about, mm. you know, respecting people's mandaries and, yeah. and being, um, you know, making sure that everyone is treated respectfully at camps mm. and things like that. Um, and I think one of the things he was uh, talking to me about was making sure it is, it's not just about making sure women are treated um, respectfully, but yeah. also LGBT and, yeah. you know, all kind of races and religions and, mm. and things like that. Um, so it's it's a very, it's always a very positive kind of experience. Yeah. I'll definitely have a look at it. Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out um, your next year's scandal there. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be a busy one. And I've got a lot on at work as well, which is awful. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to book as much as I can now so they can't deny it. <laughs> deny my <laughs> holiday. I'm like, you know, your fucking faces. Pieces of shit. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so other than the Globetrotters and stuff, like... When you go to these camps and stuff, do you, like, 
I'm interested in um, the female engagement in other countries. So when you're going to these camps uh, across the across Europe, is it, like, have you gone outside Europe? Um, I don't think so. I think we've, all the ones we've done were in Europe. So have you noticed a significant di- difference in uh, like women taking up the sport in other European countries, or is it kind of the same as it is here? Um, I think on the whole it's kind of similar. I think there's more of a culture of people doing sport in certain countries. So for instance, yeah. in, in I think Denmark, in Iceland, um, there's more of a culture of people staying in sports as they're kind of in teenage years. And yeah. So when it comes to jiu-jitsu, you tend to have more or less similar numbers, I would say, or similar kind of um, averages as you'd, yeah. you know, yeah. like um, similar ratios of male to women. Yeah. Um, but a lot more women have maybe more um, kind of a history of sport. Yeah. So they, they tend to maybe have done... I don't know, like either other martial arts or other sports like swimming, gymnastics for longer. So there tends to be more of a kind of like a culture of people being sporty, I will say. Okay. Then than in the UK. But I don't know, that's maybe maybe that's just my, my <clears throat> perception. But no, um, I know, that's I, what you know, in, in Italy there's definitely more of a culture of people being in sports yeah. kind of growing up. Not that I ever watched. Well, I've that's been the thing. Lazy, but like in the UK, um, like you don't really find women being uh, not pressured, but um, kind of encouraged to go into sport. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that I've spoken about on this before. It's probably um, like, especially like the you want to get people young. It's what I was speaking about with Gret last week. She said that. Um, young women aren't encouraged to participate in sport and they should be and um because they don't grow up with that um level of engagement with um sports and fitness and stuff they're not going to take it into their adult life or it's harder for them to get into it in their adult life (coughs) oh my god Um, it's getting smoky with all this food getting cooked in here (laughs) um but yeah, like you do find that the people who um, start a sport earlier in their life tend to at least stay in sports more. Yeah, a little bit more. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely think that the UK would benefit from, yeah. from just more I, I targeted sports programs. I think, it, I think programs. it's changing a little bit. Like you definitely see a lot more people going into things like um, strength training or CrossFit. A lot more mm. like. I think there's been a shift. I've definitely seen a shift in the last maybe five years towards more people picking up healthy kind of um, yeah. exercising. Selling um, detox tea. Yeah, but like boot camps and things like that. Like, yes. Or and and I think any way you get going to get into sport is a valid way to get into sport, whether mm-hmm. it's a boot camp or a you know running in the park with a pram if you're a new mom yeah. or you know any kind of activity is valid if it's going to get you moving or or whatever but i think there's definitely been a shift so hopefully that will translate towards the teenage years because that's a difficult you know it's it's girls as children love sports and then Mm. they hit puberty and they start feeling self-conscious and they don't really you know feel comfortable with their bodies and you know and that's when people drop out and women drop out and girls drop out so it's it's that kind of you know 
11, 12, 13 year old kind of yeah. bracket that you really need to get them in and make sure that they do stay in sport at that age. Yeah. Like, like I said at the start, you know, I started smoking when I was at 13 and I stopped, <laughs> I, I stopped training, I stopped doing any sports and, and I was be a smoker and, and whatnot. Think, so like, um, so women in general, like have to, when I say they have to, they generally mature a lot faster than, uh, men I would well they definitely mature um, a lot faster. I think society tells women to mature because well, yeah. I mean um you know like girls as young as like as soon as they start hitting puberty then they're 10 11 12 they start getting catcalled and they start getting the yeah. you know the comments in the streets and they start getting blamed for distracting people if they wear shorts you mm. know like that's a big problem in like you know school dress codes and things like that the girl was sent home when because I, she was distracting people and it's like when i was well, in you know, sixth form like, they tried like so in my sixth form college uh at school they um had a relaxed dress code and there was a note published uh by the head of sixth form and um like the head teacher of the school that basically said uh, girls are no longer allowed to wear tops that have straps because the male teachers find them distracting and someone wrote back a very lovely letter about how about you don't hire perverts yeah. and allow people to actually just dress comfortably yeah i mean why should it, why is the onus on the girls yeah. to be responsible for not distracting yeah not distracting adults and not yeah. distracting other people and i think and that's one of the things we were talking about recently about you know um people saying you know, people have to go and change in their changing rooms mm-hmm. you know at like jiu-jitsu gyms and I'm very much of the opinion that you need to offer both male and female changing room for people who are uncomfortable changing in front of others. Mm-hmm. But if people decide to change in front of others, so long as they, you know, yeah. are to the same level as you would be in a bathing suit, yeah. then that shouldn't be a problem because by saying you need to go and change in the changing room, you are sexualizing people's bodies. Yeah. While one of the beautiful things about jiu-jitsu is that we learn to see each other's bodies as not sexual things, but yeah. as machines that are going to break us and, yeah. and, you know, as weapons that are going to choke us. So, <laughs> so, so being a, like people changing in front of other people, I think is a great way of actually normalizing, normalizing mm. and, and desexualizing bodies and, and saying, you know, mm. you know, a body is just something that we use in jujitsu. And, and you know athletes always change in front of each other because they don't necessarily see each other's bodies as sexual all the time they know no. that there's a difference between you know sexual experiences and your body being used for athletic purposes mm-hmm. um, and I think um, I think you should always offer both men and female changing rooms for people who don't want to uh, you know who, who want that privacy um, and you know people maybe come in from work they need to change underwear or bras or whatever and absolutely don't do that in front of everyone yeah. but if you're gonna you know be changing your top or whatever yeah. or so long as you've got enough clothes on that you know you wouldn't be out of place in a swimming pool yeah then i don't think people like should be forced to change and change you know so i think like it's it's a great example of how you are desexualizing a body and yeah. how you, you're learning to see each other as you know not just as people yeah not <laughs> not 
something sexual. Yeah. Like, um, one of my favorite arguments against like the clothing thing is, um, how come lesbians can look at other women without getting ridiculously, yeah, uh, lechy, and it's the men who have the problem, like. Yeah, and not all men will have a problem of like no. you know seeing a woman's body and, and being yeah, but it's like it's putting the onus on the women to to hide mm. and cover. It's instead of putting the onus on the men not to be a mm. fucking creep, you know. And most men are not fucking creeps, so they don't give a shit. Yeah. But it's like why is the onus on the women and not on men to but not like, be creeps? The prime example of that was the um, whole thing with Ariana Grande at um, Aretha Franklin's funeral, where mm-hmm. the the preacher was like touching it off, really touching it inappropriately, and there were yeah. people defending him, saying he's a man of God, and oh look at what she's wearing, and it's like, oh, well, what does that have to do with any yeah. of it? She's there to um, to sing, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know, that it's was so, so uncomfortable to watch that. And she looked so uncomfortable. And, and she horrible. tried to pull away and he pulled her in. Yeah, like, I just fucking groped her. And, what? Oh my God. That's, yeah, that's, that's not acceptable. Don't worry, he's a man of God. And yeah. Like they, yeah we, we they've never done how, anything How exactly? <laughs> Historically. Yeah. It's fine, it's fine. As long yeah. as they only do it to children, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And behind closed doors. I know. <laughs> Um, it's like the whole you know, um, pro-life argument think of the children and it's like well what about yeah. all all the children that have been assaulted all the children getting yeah. separated from their parents and well and also like, pro-life is absolutely not about children it's about controlling women yeah and like the people who stand outside abortion clinics screaming oh you're a killer you're a killer like why don't they go why don't they go shouted like yeah. you know which one of them is border patrol priests? But which one of those people is gonna go? You're a murderer. Have the baby, and I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a person who obviously can't fit that child into their life. Yeah. And like, it was like a mistake that they don't want. They like they also don't believe in it for rape victims. So what? Yeah. They just need to carry that person's child? No. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. It's stupid. Also, when does life start to these people? Because like up until one what is it like six eight weeks it doesn't really have a functioning brain like Mm -hmm. if they're saying that the soul is there i think you know there there is a reason that you know abortion providers provide abortion Mm. um at the times and up to the times that they do provide it and it's all based on evidence it's evidence-based practice that's Mm. how science and medicine work yeah. And obviously the evidence can always change. However, the evidence on abortion has not changed for a very, very long time. So it's like, why are you ignoring the scientific evidence in favor of something that someone in the sky is telling you that, mm. in my opinion, doesn't exist? You know? Like, obviously, you know, I I understand why people need faith. And I understand... Um, you know, the importance of having faith in something and the connection it gives you. And I don't have a problem with people being religious. However, when it starts impacting on other people's lives, Mm. then that's a problem. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I'm very conscious that we have food and Dan needs to be somewhere in the next (laughs) half an hour. (laughs) Um, 
So you actually already answered my what would you do to improve female engagement <laughs> already kind of with the whole start them young. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to discuss mm. or anything you'd like to add to it? Mm, not particularly, no. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much for talking <laughs> to me. I've really enjoyed it. Listening to my ranting, uh, <laughs> ranting and raving. And uh, all of the awkward questions you've asked me. Thank you very much. Uh, I enjoy being very personal. Um, we'll high five. But now this looks we'll amazing. Eat. But thank you very much. And thank uh, you. yeah, I'm just gonna. And there you have it. Um, I really hope you enjoyed the podcast. Again, um, I am trying my best to uh, speak to as many women in the sport as I can. Um, I have a couple more people in mind, but I'm not sure when I'm going to get around to speaking to them. Um, Again, the competition is October 14th. If you haven't already, please sign up. Um, It would be really awesome to get as many women on the mats as possible. Uh, Once more, the uh, coupon code for the discount for the podcast is PDKAST. So uh, if you use that, you get 15% off your entry for both Gi and no Gi. Um, And yeah, um, I really hope you've enjoyed the podcast and... I'll speak to you all again very, very soon.